Well, thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for singing and uh, worshiping the Lord in song. Let's continue that worship as we open God's Word uh, together. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for uh, this time that we can share together, not only in singing your praises, Lord, and you are certainly worthy of every praise, but also, Father, as part of that worship, we open your word. So it is our prayer that you will speak to us through your word, that we would have uh, clear minds and receptive hearts, ears to hear, and Lord, hands and feet that are swift uh, to be obedient to your exhortations and commands to us. And Lord, may we uh, live that out in the strength that you supply through your Spirit to the glory of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we have been studying together these uh, past Sundays the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how his resurrection continually impacts us as individual Christians uh, as well as uh, the body of Christ. We know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, secures our salvation as it is part of God's redemptive plan. And His resurrection also assures us of our standing before God as we come not on our own, but on the basis and merits of what Christ has done for us through His death, burial, and resurrection. We've also seen over the past uh, several weeks that Jesus' resurrection also becomes the inspiration for our worship. We worship him because he's conquered death and he is alive and he has provided us a salvation both now and for eternity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is also the foundation uh, for our prayer life. It is because he lives that He ever intercedes for us, but also provides the avenue and the means by which we can approach God with confidence and boldness because He is alive. And through Him we come before God and commune with Him in times of prayer, conversing with Him and hearing from Him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is also, thirdly, uh, the motivation for our service. The motivation for our service, the reason that, that we serve one another in love is because Christ is risen. And He, in that resurrection, has given gifts unto us as the body of Christ. And it's His desire that through His Word and through the direction of His Spirit that we understand what gifts He's given us individually and that we use those gifts for the building up of the body of Christ for the benefit of those who believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might accomplish the things that He calls us to uh, through Himself. But fourthly, and the, the final one that I want us to consider this morning, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not only in the inspiration for our worship, not only the foundation for our prayer life, and not only the mo motivation for our service, but fourth, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the causation, uh, the direct result of believers being sent out 
with the gospel message to every part of the earth. It's because He died and rose again and has redeemed us and made us His very own and because of His resurrection and because He is alive that we have the, 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 the desire to be obedient to Him to take the message of the gospel, the good news that has redeemed us and to take it to the very ends uh, of the earth. In other words, believers are called and sent by God to take the good news of Jesus uh, to the world. And I find it interesting that in these four things, as uh, we are reminded of in these banners that are behind me, that this is really what we are to be about as the church. Worship, we are to pray, we are to serve, and we are to send. And I find it interesting that in worship, worship is all of me responding to all of God. And that can happen both privately, and it should happen privately and individually, but also corporately, where we are praising God, we are worshiping God, we are responding to God in every way that we can think in offering ourselves fully to Him and praising Him and worshiping Him for the great God that He is and the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Prayer also, likewise, uh, is both an individual uh, action that we take, praying to God and communing with Him and conversing with Him in prayer, but it's also a corporate act. So it's both individual and corporate. The interesting thing about these last two, though, service and sending, is that these cannot be done in isolation. You can't serve in isolation. Uh, and neither can you be part of sending or being sent in isolation. Serving and sending will involve interaction with other people outside of yourself and outside of the context of the church. It's, this is not all in-house that these things are to be done and realized among us as God's believing people, but it also includes uh, a, a look beyond the four walls of the, the building and beyond ourselves to a world that is lost and is in darkness and is in bondage to sin that needs the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so being sent means being sent somewhere beyond yourself with the gospel message and in particular uh, to the world that is around us. We see an example of this for us in Acts chapter 20, uh, excuse me, in the life of, of the Apostle Paul. I think he's one of the best examples that we can see in this. In that, number one, Paul encountered the risen Christ on the Damascus Road. And you can read about the details of, of that uh, conversion experience that he had in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 uh, through 19. He encountered the risen Christ. And he realized that he was a sinful man. Though Jewish, though strict, though having a pedigree, though being a Pharisee, though having everything religiously right, if you would, when he encountered the risen Christ, he realized that he was a sinful man. And one of the first things that Paul said, he was Saul at the moment, <laughs> when Christ appeared to him, he says, what would you have me to do? See, that's a response of encountering the risen Christ, that, that you are compelled to, to 
Offer yourselves and yield yourself to him. And Paul came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ uh, as he encountered him on that Damascus road. And I find it significant that one of the first things that he did after he came to faith in Jesus Christ, knew in his faith, not knowing uh, all that the implications of him trusting Christ meant to him at that moment, he went into the synagogue, Acts chapter 9, and he began to preach, verse 20, and he declared that Jesus is the Son of God. Isn't that amazing? This man who was determined to stamp out anybody who was a follower of this Nazarene named Jesus, he's now transformed and changed and is declaring the very truth that he once tried to destroy, that Jesus is the Son of God. And the more that he grew in that understanding and in that faith, verse 22 says, Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited one that was going to bring a salvation not only to the Jewish people, but a salvation that was now available and open to the world at large. And he was transformed as he encountered the risen Christ. And Jesus Christ, that same Lord who saved him, then secondly commissioned him to take the gospel both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And we read about this in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 we read, and this was many years later in, in Paul's experience. In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And the two of them went on their way by the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to where they went. You have here that verse 2, the Holy Spirit making a distinction among these who were serving at this church and said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for me. God was commissioning them, the Holy Spirit was commissioning them to take the gospel message beyond, beyond themselves. They were called by God to be a missionary. Paul was called uh, to be a, a missionary. The, the term that we use for those who, who have the call of God on their lives and take the gospel message to, to other lands, to other places, committing their lives fully to them. And notice this, that verse 3 says that they were sent out by the church. After they, they laid their hands on them, they sent them off. But they're also sent out by the Holy Spirit, verse 4. Do you see the, the, the connection, the concert, the working together between the, the local church body and the ministry of the Holy Spirit that they are, they are in agreement with one another? The Holy Spirit calls, the Holy Spirit commissions, the Holy Spirit gives that divine tap on the shoulder to individuals to say, I want you to serve me in this particular way. And the church recognizes that call and comes behind that individual and supports that individual in taking the steps that God has called them to in serving Jesus Christ, to be a missionary, to share the gospel, to live out their gifting and their calling before God as God will use them for his purpose and his glory. Was Paul obedient to that uh, commission on his life? Well, I think one example comes to us in Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, 
Paul was before King Agrippa and Felix, who was the, the governor at the time. Excuse me, it was Festus who was the governor. Felix came before him. But in Acts chapter 26, he's giving his testimony. And note this, that in his testimony, Paul talks about how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, and it's important for you and for me, whether our coming to faith in Jesus Christ was a dramatic experience, or whether something that you realized over time, but you genuinely have faith in Jesus Christ, that you're able to articulate, you're able to communicate, you're able to share with someone else what Christ has done for you in transforming you, in giving you new life, in forgiving your sins, in giving you peace, in giving you hope, and having a reality that is beyond what anything the world can offer. And Paul did that, and I think he's an example to us. But notice what he says here, verse 12. On one of these journeys, as he was going to Damascus, remember he's talking about his previous life of wanting to, to stamp out the Christians. He says, I had, I had this authority commissioned by the chief priests, so, and so forth, verse 12. He says, about noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. When we all fell to the ground, I heard a voice in Aramaic saying to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to try and overcome me. It's going to be painful for you. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And notice how Jesus responded to him. In this initial encounter with Jesus, God already had a purpose for Saul's life, who became Paul. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. Which indicates to you and me, not only of his experience up to this point, but that God was going to reveal other things to the Apostle Paul. And he even makes reference to that, of having visions and revelations that God brought to him into his life in reference to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them with what purpose, with what commission, with what message, with what purpose? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. You want to know how God may want to use you as a believer in Jesus Christ and how he may want to use your life to communicate the gospel? Notice what he's doing. He's rescuing people from darkness. He's delivering people from Satan's bondage. He's granting them the forgiveness of their sins. That's all part of the gospel that we bring to a world that is broken and in darkness and needs Christ. And notice verse 19. He says, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Paul was obedient, not only to place his faith in Jesus Christ, which Christ commanded him to do to be his Savior and Lord, but also to be obedient to the commission that God placed on his life to serve Christ and bring the gospel beyond himself, beyond Jerusalem, beyond the Jews to the Gentile world. So much so that Paul is known as the apostle to the Gentiles. And we have in the book of Acts four, uh, 3 of 
Paul's what we call missionary journeys, where, where he was followed and, and recorded where he took the gospel in all these different contexts and how the gospel took root and how churches were planted and people came to faith in Christ and were brought into the kingdom. And God raised up churches and then God raised up elders and God raised up other workers and God was at work through this man who was obedient to the call of God on his life. Are you obedient to God's call on your life? You say, well, he's not asking me or hasn't asked me to go to a foreign land. Yes, but are you being obedient in the context that you're in? To be salt and light in whatever context, whatever is your circle of influence in this present day. Are you living for Jesus? Are you seeking to, to be a witness for him and to live in such a way that people will say, what is different about you? How come, how come you, everybody else is frustrated and uh, and, has, and flustered about these things. And you seem to have a calmness and a peace. You won't get that if you watch the news 24-7, by the way. But if you realize what you have in Jesus Christ, one of the fruit of the Spirit is the peace of God. And that can be an avenue and a witness for Jesus in your context. And notice this, that the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the whole causation for his message and for his mission. Uh, Acts chapter 20, if you go back a couple of pages in your, your Bible or uh, look up Acts chapter 20 with me for a moment, look with me at verse 17. Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. Paul is, he is uh, giving his farewell uh, conversation and experience with the elders at Ephesus, knowing that he wouldn't see them again. He says, beginning at verse 18, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. Isn't it interesting that Jesus did warn him, even when he commissioned him, that it was going to be difficult. Jesus said the same thing for all of his followers. If they've hated me, know that they've... If they hated you, know that they hated me before you. It's not always going to be easy. But yet Paul was humble, he was obedient, and he says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Paul looked for every possible way to present Christ because that was the call of God on his life to bear witness to Christ. I have declared both to Jews and to Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And why did he do that? Why was he so compelled? Because he encountered the living and risen Christ in his life and he was transformed from that point onward. Did he have times where he was down? Of course he did. There were times that he feared for his own life. There were times that he was in despair. And yet the Lord Jesus was with him through it all. And he was willing to be obedient and to carry out the commission God placed on his life because of Jesus who rose from the dead. Now while Paul is uh, certainly the greatest uh, example of one who uh, fulfilled the call of God on his life and was sent out with the message, I find it significant that if we look at the life of Jesus, 
we back up a little bit from Paul and look at the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus himself was sent by the Father to provide salvation for the lost. Jesus himself had a commission that was placed upon him by the Father. And Jesus humbled himself and left heaven's glory, his glory, and came into this world. According to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. And I want you to know that this commission that was placed upon him, this calling that was placed upon him, this being chosen by the Father to carry out the Father's will was something that Jesus Christ did willingly. And he did with full obedience to the Father. Now, time won't permit me to even go through all the verses that I have here in my notes this morning, but I just want you to take a brief survey with me, really briefly, through the Gospel of John. Just in the Gospel of John alone, 54 times over, Jesus affirms and others affirm concerning him that he was sent by the Father. He was sent by the Father. There was a purpose God had in sending Jesus Christ into this world. I'm going to highlight just a few of them. I have 19 listed here. I don't think I'm going to give you all 19, but I will give you the references. But notice all the way beginning at the beginning of John here, chapter 3 and verse 34. John the Baptist is speaking on behalf of Jesus. And he says, verse 34, for the, one the, for the one whom God has sent speak the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit or without measure to him. The one sent from God is doing what? Bringing the words of God to the people. It's interesting that Jesus said in John chapter 4, just one chapter over, and verse uh, 34 again, Verse 34, he says here, John 4, 34, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What was the work that he came to do? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. How would he accomplish it? He would accomplish it by his death, burial, and resurrection again the third day. He would accomplish the plan of salvation that God had from all eternity past to rescue those who were perishing, to save those who were lost, for, to, to redeem those who were rebellious and stubborn against God. God had a plan from the very beginning and Christ came to finish and accomplish that plan of salvation on your behalf and mine. John chapter 5 and verses 22 through 24, several times over in these verses. Read with me. John chapter 5, 22 through 24. Notice this. Jesus says, The Father judges no one, but is entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. One day, everyone will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account of himself to God. And by the way, that will include believing people as well. Not judged 
in terms of whether or not we will enter heaven or have salvation for eternity, but for how we lived as followers of Jesus Christ. But the world, the unbelieving world, will also stand before God and give an account of their lives as well. And Jesus says here it's imperative, it's essential, it's a must that a person must honor Jesus Christ. And that idea behind honoring Him is a worship of Him, a submission to Him, a reverence for Him, a commitment to Him, and that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father who sent Him. And those who do not, as a result, uh, face Him in judgment. But notice this, verse 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word, remember he said he came being sent with the words of God, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me with this message has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Jesus has the words of life because Jesus himself is life. And where did Jesus point individuals to? Where does he point us to? Not to someone else, but he points to himself. Believe on me and you will be saved, says Jesus. He's not calling you to, to look somewhere else for salvation. He's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Look at chapter 6. Here's another example of this. Chapter 6, verses 38 and 39. John chapter 6. Verses 38 and 39. Notice this. The, hear these words of Jesus and, and think about for a moment what that must have been like for this Jewish audience who saw him as the carpenter, the rabbi from, from Nazareth and the, 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 the rabbi from Galilee. Listen, listen to these words. For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now that was troubling enough. I mean, the whole chapter, he gets into eating his flesh and drinking his blood and all that that is entailed with that. And this was overwhelming for this uh, audience. We, we look at these words and maybe we read them and maybe have them underlined and, and highlighted in your Bible as I do. And we, we just kind of take it for granted. But read that again with me. For I have come down from heaven. Who does that speak of other than God? Because who resides in heaven? Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And what did Jesus do? He fulfilled the will of the Father, having been commissioned, having been sent by him to provide this salvation. And notice this, and this is the will of him who sent me. There it is again. That I should lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Again, the assurance of eternal life in this one known as Jesus, the Messiah, the sent one. I'll have you turn to one last passage. I'm going I'm to skip over uh, the others that I have here. Let's turn to John chapter 17. This is part of what is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And I'll have you note just three, three specific verses in, in this chapter. John chapter 17, verse 3 and 8 and 18. 
He is praying and Jesus says to the Father, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. How many gods are there in the world? Well, there might be many that the world says exists, but the Bible clearly reveals and communicates to us that there is but one true and living God. The God revealed in the Scripture. That they might know you, the only true God, and... Why would there need to be an and? Because in the one true God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You say, how can that be? That, that equation doesn't work mathematically. It's not a mathematical equation. It's a biblical truth. It's a truth that's taught from Genesis to Revelation that we accept by faith. We understand it as best we can in our limited understanding. But we can't fully explain the Trinity or God, can we? But this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And why was he sent? He was sent to seek and to save what was lost. He was sent in order to be a substitute and a sacrifice on behalf of sinful humanity. He was sent to accomplish the Father's plan of salvation and ultimately to rule and to reign over all. In the plan of God. Look at verse 8 with me. Verse 8 of John 17. Notice this. For I gave them, now he's talking about the disciples, for believing people, I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. Remember where the words came from? They came from the Father. The one whom the Father sent into the world with the words. The words of life, the words of truth, the words of the gospel. They knew with certainty that I have come from you and they believe that you, what? Sent me. You sent me. One last verse. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 of the same chapter. As you have sent me into the world... And when he came into the world, he provided salvation for us by his death, burial, and resurrection. I have sent them into the world. Now it shifts. Father, you have sent me. I've accomplished your will. I've been obedient to what you've called me to do. I've accomplished the work that you've given me to do. And now, in turn, I send them in my name, with my message, with my gospel, with my good news that's all about me. And if you want another verse, in John's Great Commission, if you would, turn to chapter 20. Chapter 20 of John's Gospel. This is after the resurrection. And because he is alive, he can say these words to you and to me. Verse 21 of John 20. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. What a grand commission. What a holy calling for you and I to bear the message of the gospel, the message glorious 
to those who still need to hear. This was originally given, given to these 11 apostles, but by extension, that was given to the whole church. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Make disciples, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Now, let me just say in 1 John, if you turn there for a moment, you have three verses which summarize why Jesus came. And maybe they can become a basis for you in sharing the gospel with others. Those that you witness to. Those that you are wanting to see come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. These, these three verses in 1 John chapter 4 provide a summary of Jesus' mission in being sent. And look with me at these words. John chapter 4 and verse 9. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. What is demonstrated by the fact that Jesus Christ was sent and He came into this world? Number one, the love of God and the life that God offers us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Life eternal and life abundant. Notice this. Him being sent is also seen in verse 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Christ came and took the penalty for our sins as a propitiation, as a means by which God's judgment can be turned away from us who deserve it. He took it in our place. And again, it demonstrates the love of God. People say, well, how does God love? He loves by giving His Son. And what did His Son do? His Son offered up His life as a sacrifice for you and for me. And then lastly, verse 14, John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14. We know that we live in Him. We know that we live in Him and He in us because He has given uh, his spirit. That is not the verse. That is not the verse. My apologies. I will just skip that. I think... I, verse 14. Oh. I, I'm... Forgive me. My eyes, for some reason, are not reading the right verse. I guess I need new glasses, maybe. Pardon me. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son, what? To be the Savior of the world. Here's the message that we bring. Thank you, Bob, for finding that for me. The Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, and we are testifying of this fact. That's why He came. Jesus Christ did not come just... He didn't come for this reason at all, just to give you a better life. Your best life now. And be careful because there's a new book by that same person, The Power of I Am. And I am skeptical that that has to do really with Jesus. 
Be careful of that. Jesus came into the world to be a savior because we are sinful people. So what does that mean for us? I could preach for a whole other half an hour, but we, we need individuals to be sent. As you know, Romans chapter 10 says this in verse 14, how can they call on the one in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? See, the church, in addition to using our gifts and serving one another, is to be sending individuals out with the gospel and being part of those who are sent as that is all of our commission. We say, well, God hasn't said to me specifically that I need to go to this country or that to preach Christ. No, he hasn't maybe. But he certainly wants you to be obedient to the call on your life to be sent by him with the good news of Jesus Christ to those who need to hear. And this it means that you and I need to, to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send up and raise out workers to go out into the harvest. So my question to us this morning is, are you willing to be sent? It requires uh, faith on your part and it requires an obedience to God and his call uh, on your life. Is it worth it? We just received this past week a little update with a thank you from the Christian and Missionary Alliance uh, reminding us that uh, this year marks the 100th year of the Alliance presence in West Africa. And they say that up until recently because of security concerns and the Alliance needing to withdraw some of the workers that are there the gospel presence has been among students, prisoners, and um, internally displaced peoples, peoples that have been moved about because of unrest that has been happening. They said that uh, they have been sharing the gospel with many of these individuals who are suffering, who are overlooked, and without hope. The road to sharing Jesus with these unreached peoples has been long and hard, but praise God that over the last year, 3,600 of these displaced peoples have received vital care, plus two English center uh, uh, students, and over a dozen prisoners have committed their lives to Jesus Christ. Just in this past year alone. There, there have been other things that have been accomplished in that hundred years of sharing the gospel. And it's not always easy. But we go out in obedience to what God has called us to, to, to say. You know, the church has part in sending uh, those who are to take the gospel. One last verse and one last thought here. You know, Jesus said that he will fill us with the Spirit in order that we might be witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and at the very ends of the earth. So the Lord not only wants to move us out to the very ends of the earth with the gospel message, he wants us to begin right where we are as well, being sent. 
And he has been sending us as a congregation to the praise of his glory and his grace to the Vietnamese in our community. He has raised us up and sent us along with other churches in this community to be part of love life. He has, he has put it upon the heart of Karen and Clay that started with a prayer walk for their neighborhood to now be neighborhood leaders where they're actually involved with, with community happenings that, that involve things even beyond just their own little neighborhood. And there's the witness in the presence of Christ. You think about the, the outreach that happens during Tet where we bring gifts to those who it's their culture to celebrate the new year at a different time than we do. And we let them know that we are there and we are the church and we care for them. I think about uh, Anne with boots on the ground as she's prayed for different parts of the community. I think of Everett and Akeem who do street witnessing and have been doing that on Thursdays on a regular basis. I think of Susan and Dave who are part of CNMA, the motorcycle ministry, and the people that they have opportunity uh, to, to interact with. And there are others here. Those are just the initial ones that came to my mind from even this congregation that you are being obedient to being sent, but let's not become weary in doing good. Let's not, let's not stop what God is already doing here in our midst to be a witness to Him. Let's be obedient and be willing to be sent because Jesus Christ, our Savior, lives. Shall we pray? Father, thank You for these past several weeks as we have reflected on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the implications of His resurrection and the impact that that resurrection of our Lord has upon us. Lord, may You continue by Your Spirit's work and the instruction of Your Word and the stirring of Your Spirit in our hearts that we would continue, Lord, and all the more worship You and pray, and serve, and send. And Father, may it be so that through our uh, yieldedness to You, our faith and trust in You and our obedience to what You are asking us to do and, and what we've been doing under the direction of Your lead leadership, that Lord, You might help us to live out your call on our lives to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Continue that work within us, Lord. Continue to sanctify us, to, to make us holy so that in the, the accomplishing of your work, Lord, we're transformed all the more into the image of Jesus Christ. And may the result be, Lord, that the gospel is proclaimed, individuals are saved, and your kingdom, Lord, is increased. And to you, Father, be the honor, the glory, and the praise for all this. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.